We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standards. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joining us always my co-host, Nick Bellato. Today we're going to be breaking down the All-22 Coaches film of the New York Giants defense against the Los Angeles Rams and what was really not a great game for the defense. This was kind of the cherry on top for this defense because all season long we've been talking about, you know what, there's been some good drives from this defense. There's been some good moments from this defense. But in this one, it kind of fell apart, and you look at the overall numbers, where this defense is at now, bottom three in the NFL. You never expected it to get there. They, you thought maybe, not maybe, you thought definitely when you spend all that money on Dory Jackson to kind of help you lock down man coverage on the outside and give you another boundary corner. You know, when you add pieces like Aziz Ojolari through the draft, that there's going to be progression. There's going to be a better defense. Now, a big part of this is that Blake Martinez injury, but at the same time, you can't just blame injuries there because the inside linebacker depth is what it is, and I think this was another good example of they're really just nowhere close to where they need to be on the inside uh, with that inside backer group. You just you just can't hope to win in the NFL. I don't think with Tay Crowder and Reggie Ragland playing a lot of snaps. And I know this week the Giants did decide uh, decide McK- I'm sorry decide to sign McKinney. So we'll see what happens with that. He might be a little washed. But Nick, what'd you make of this defensive effort by the Giants uh, against the Rams? Effort-wise, I mean, it didn't look great, I guess you could say, down the stretch of the game, but I think that was more of a product of fatigue. I kind of wanted your opinion on this. A lot of people are talking about how the defense quit. I didn't necessarily see that, to be honest. And a lot of fans kind of want like, they, they want to, you know, light the pitchforks and kind of go and just, lay you know, fire everybody, all that. I don't think the, the team quit. I think they were just out-schemed. They were, again, as you said last podcast, out physical and uh and the cooper cup touchdown that second one i just think they lost track of cooper cup and no one got to him and it seemed like everybody was preoccupied with the crossing routes from those reduced splits and 
I'm telling you, man, Sean McVay is just an offensive genius. How many times did they have success against man coverage? Every time the Giants were in man coverage, which was only about 19% of the snaps, they had man beaters built in where they would have stacks and they would have that number two receiver just go right to the flat underneath the vertical release from the number one receiver. And there was always at least three or four or five yards of separation for a quick hitting pass that would result in six yards. And then taking advantage of the zone match that Patrick Ram runs as well. I mean, there were plenty of plays where he was able to do that. It happened on the second and nine play to Robert Woods that we're about to go over here in a little bit. They're just taking advantage of what Patrick Ram is trying to do. And Graham hasn't found a way to effectively adjust his defense. And that's just is what it is right now. I don't think we put the cart before the horse with Patrick Graham last season in terms of how good he is as a defensive coach, but now he's tasked to adjust to his original brilliance, and he hasn't done that yet. And I'll tell you what to start, Nick. I'm going to make out physical last. I'm going to make it stand. That's going to be a new term on the Big Blue Vander podcast. There's another one that I kind of create out of nowhere and see if it sticks. I mean, how else do you say that? I mean, you could say they're more physical, but... That doesn't always work. You're talking about what happened. You got out physical. I'm standing by that. But yeah, uh, to answer your question is a big talking point. It's something we should definitely address. It's been talked about all week throughout Twitter, throughout all of, you know, anything where you read your Giants content. Did the Giants quit? You know, that was also the question last week. Did the Giants defense quit? And I'm with you. I don't think this Giants defense quit. I don't think that's, and because you get to the point in these one and five seasons, and now we're at our fourth in a row where the, you know, the season's over by week six, if, if you're going to be honest. And you get to the point where you have to ask yourself, like, you know, will you lose the locker room? Will the, you know, will the defense start to kind of try less hard when they're down by these huge scores late in the game? But I, I mean, based on the film, at least from what we can see, man, I don't see that. And I know you didn't either as well. And that's a good sign because that's probably the first step toward losing the locker room. Like the Giants had happen, you know, in that final season with Ben McAdoo, um, where you could just tell in 2017, like that team didn't want to play for him at all. And you could see, I thought you could see it on, we weren't doing this podcast back then film wise, but I was just watching the Giants, and I thought you could see it at the end of the McAdoo era, and it was a clear difference in what you're seeing now, if that makes any sense. So I would say based on that, they're not, they haven't quit on them. But like you said, I mean, you're just facing off against one of, if not the best play callers in the NFL. It's not just that he's the best play caller. Like Play calling is one thing. Calling the right play at the right time is one thing. But there's only what it really comes down to is these route combinations, like you did such a great job of breaking down. There's two guys in the NFL that really are stand out there. McVay and Reed are just designing route combinations that get receivers open against man coverage. And it makes it really hard for you to call defense. Like you said, you can try pattern match stuff. You can try zone coverage. But that's only going to take you so far, especially against a quarterback like Matt Stafford, who has the arm talent to stick it through soft spots and zones. You have to rely, you mean, you, you have to really rely on your ability to play man coverage. And right now, that's not something the Giants can do, especially not against a coordinator like McVay. And after a while, it showed in this game. There were some de- decent defensive stops to start this game, but after a while, it kind of fell off. Let's get into that first drive. What did you see from the Giants defense on that first drive that stood out to you? What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's not even just route concepts, though, either. It's also route concepts against specific defensive coordinators and what specific defensive coordinators want to do. And that's what Sean McVay was doing against Patrick Graham. And one play that's indicative of that was the second and nine play on the first drive, the the pass for, I think it was 16 yards to Robert Woods. It was just a three-level smash type of concept where Cooper Cup released and did a deep, like I'm talking like a 20-yard flag route so he ran about 20 yards vertical and then he flagged it towards the sidelines and what the Rams did was they basically put two players in conflict which was James Bradbury who was the outside defender there and the Giants were in some sort of zone match type of defense and then Jabril Peppers who was the underneath curl flat defender because they flooded that flooded that direction they they used the three level read for Matt Stafford Higby went into the flat Robert Woods ran a deep curl and stopped on the numbers did not go anywhere near the hash which is where Logan Ryan was so he wasn't drawing the attention of Logan Ryan which forced James Bradbury to midpoint the number one and the number two receiver being or yeah the number one and number two receivers which was Cooper Cup and Robert Woods because nobody that deep middle of the field safety was not going to be able to get to Cooper Cup if he ran a deep seven route. So James Bradbury had to sink and get underneath that deep seven route to prevent a huge explosive play. But that left Robert Woods wide open because Tyler Higby's route dragged Jabril Peppers to the sideline. So that's just excellent scheme right there, Dan. That's, yep. that's knowing what the Giants defenders are going to do and how they're going to react to the route combinations and somebody wide open. It's either going to be Cooper Cup for a huge explosive play or Robert Woods wide open because that middle of the field safety was not going to be able to get the cup and then the buzzed safety safety down is going to be preoccupied with another crossing route coming from the backside. That's just excellent scheme right there. Yeah, it is. And we've seen it all year with McVay. I mean, I think Matthew Stafford's averaging, what is it? Something crazy, like over 10 yards per attempt, which is on pace to potentially break records. It's so good. But you saw it all game in this one as well. I mean, you also saw, which we'll talk about, but we, we can get to it a little bit later because obviously, you know, there's a note on him even on this drive. But McVay knew, and McVay wanted to get matchups against Jabril Peppers in, in one-on-one pass coverage. Right now, Jabril Peppers in man coverage one-on-one is a liability for the Giants. I think it's more pronounced now, or pronounced now than it's ever been during his tenure with the Giants. And obviously, his standing with the team right now, so I kind of want to talk about this, Nick, is pretty tenuous. He's an impending free agent, and he's been a liability in pass coverage and man coverage. What where, where do you stand with Peppers here right now with the Giants? Moving forward, is this somebody you'd look to prioritize re-signing in this offseason? Is, is this somebody who's going to be a part of the solution in the future or somebody you might look to even try to trade before this trade deadline? I think a lot of players could be up for trades before the trade deadline, and he's not necessarily someone I want to prioritize. But I also think we have to pose a very important question, Dan, is, is Patrick Graham using his personnel and optimizing them right now? Because right. I don't know if he is. Because Jabril Peppers is not somebody who thrives in man coverage, covering tight ends down the field 30 yards. He's that much more of a box type of guy, much more of a better blitzing type of player. And you have Xavier McKinney playing a lot of single high center field. He definitely doesn't thrive in that role either. And I'm not 100% certain how to utilize his personnel but the product on the field suggests that neither of those two safeties are thriving in their roles. I think Logan Ryan is fine with what he is asked to do right now. I don't think his role has to change that much. 
But I, I, I mean, I don't know, man. Something is definitely off with those safeties, and it's ironic and terrible because we went into this season saying the safety group was a top two, top three safety group, if not maybe the best safety group in the National yeah. Football League with the potential that Xavier McKinney had, and they are playing just horrendously right now through six games. It's a good example of how we have to be careful building on potential, you know, just counting on potential going forward because we really did build up this safety group, and they're not performing well. And it's Xavier McKinney's been one of the bigger disappointments to me of them all. I know he had some... Yeah, the, he had the counting stats and some of the box score stuff that wasn't really... Neither of them were... You know, it's not really a product of him. I think it's just being in the right spot at the right time. The Tay Crowder, I call it, of 2020. Everybody got on the Tay Crowder bandwagon because he was in the right spot at the right time for a few plays. And as we see now this year in an expanded role, Tay Crowder's, in my mind, certainly not part of the solution moving forward. I, I hope he becomes a reserve for the Giants. I know I'm trying to take it out and Tay Crowder here, but there's a huge difference when you have Tay Crowder on the field versus Blake Martinez. And in my mind, Tay Crowder is one of the biggest reasons this defense is struggling so hard right now you need somebody in the middle better than him but as far as the safeties go yeah I mean it's a question we have to ask we all counted our chickens we said wow the Giants really found something a defensive coordinator Patrick Graham last year did they get lucky did they hired the next potential head NFL head coach the next potential genius defensive coordinator to the point where he was getting head coach buzz this offseason and decided to sign a really lucrative obviously the terms aren't released they never are but a really lucrative extension with the Giants to be the defensive coordinator and yet here we are now, year two of Patrick Graham, starting to question, is he using Jarrell Peppers right? Is he using Xavier McKinney right? Is he, in general, is his covered, the coverages he's employing, the correct coverages that you want, playing these guys so far off the ball, for example, that you want to maximize this defense? And it definitely has me nervous about Graham long-term. I'm willing to give him a mulligan year, I guess, but at this point, I mean, you, you got to count on anyone who flashes any talent in this Giants organization. You got to at least give another opportunity to. Uh, and call it a mulligan, but where are you at with Graham right now? Are you a little concerned long-term? You cut out a little bit. Who are you referring to? Uh, Grant, long-term with Patrick Graham. Where are you at right now? Are you a little concerned long-term? No, I wouldn't say I'm concerned long-term right now, but all of the the uh, the momentum that I built up in my mind and a lot of us built up in our minds about Patrick Graham has definitely just halted. That train is just, you know, slammed on the brakes. And now we're saying, let's see how he adjusts. Let's see how he finishes the year. And let's evaluate him week to week. Kind of the same way we're handling Daniel Jones, the same way we're handling Joe Judge. I definitely don't think he has that potential that I once envisioned of him leaving the Giants after this season to take a head coaching job if an advantageous job opened up. Now he's definitely going to be the defensive coordinator if the Giants want him unless something miraculous happens. But uh, I'm not as high on him, I guess, is an easy way to answer that question. Right. But I'm not throwing him out with the bathwater either. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we got to hopefully call it a mulligan. But there were some good takeaways from this. And let's get a dive a little bit back into the game film here. Break down that third and 10 sack from the Giants because that was another great coverage sack from this team. Yeah, that was a great coverage sack. And I got to say, man, Darnay Holmes was out there on that play, dude. And you see him, dude? He really yep. stuck to Cooper Cup's deep clear out route very well. Underneath, you know, I think there was a little cut in there, a little seven type of action, and he was all over it. So I thought Darnay Holmes did a great job on that deep corner route. Dory Jackson was all over Deshaun Jackson. They had Bradbury kind of drop and play mid-hook, middle of the field, kind of to the strength. And he was just kind of disrupting any kind of crossing pattern. So it seemed like Patrick Graham on this play had contingency plans to, to 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 prevent the Rams from using those replacement, those follow concepts, because I believe it was Robert Woods who kind of ran a deep crossing route to drag Ryan away from the middle of the field. And then Deshaun Jackson came into the middle of the field. Adoree Jackson was all over it. But then and you had James Bradbury in the middle of the field just in case Adoree Jackson was beat inside. So that deep dig route was not going to be open. And Matt Stafford just had to tuck the ball and eat the sack at that point. That was a really good play call by Patrick Graham, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. And again, it's like we have these flashes now week to week where there are these really good possessions by the defense. I want to talk about the second possession because you wrote it in your notes and I thought it was a really good point. You said this might have been the, one of the best defensive possessions this defense has had all season long. And at this point, you know, the Giants are in a 3 nothing game. They're, they're kind of showing some surprise. I remember, you know, watching this game with a buddy at the sportsbook and we're, we're saying like, I don't know about this one. You got, the, you got the Rams as part of your parlay here. I don't know about this one. The Giants are showing some juice. And it looks like their defense is finally stepping up. Obviously, that didn't last. It's tough. But go over this drive, what stood out to you. Maybe break down the third and fourth sack as well. Yeah, I think it was one of the better defensive possessions because the Rams started with the football at the 41-yard line. This is the Los Angeles right. Rams with Sean McVay, one of the best offenses in the league. 
the Giants are able to just stop them in the tracks. And Stafford was lucky he didn't throw an interception twice on the same play. He tried to thread the needle. And Reggie Ragland showed some pop, man. He showed some athletic ability, jumped into the throwing window, tipped the pass, and then it hit Xavier McKinney in the hands. It was a just quick little glance pass. route for Robert Woods. Uh, I don't know, man. McKinney ended up coming up with two interceptions, which we forget about because they were kind of just meh, end of the second half. And the other one was Johnny Walford. But I mean, I guess it's still good and positive to come away with interceptions. And then the third and four, it was another coverage type of sack. But I felt like watching that play, I wasn't as enthusiastic because if you looked to the right of the field, Tyler Higby was wide open. It would have been like a 20-yard gain, an easy first down. But it was missed and Matt Stafford ended up getting sacked by Leonard Williams, who it was definitely more of a coverage sack and the coverage was good other than Tyler Higby. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's great that the Giants ended two Rams drives with sacks, but it wasn't dominating performances by a Giants defender. And again, like we always say, to be fair, it's collective, right? The, The coverage helps out the pass rush. The pass rush helps out the coverage. Those two things haven't been married to each other much this season. So to see it actually work twice is definitely a positive step in the right direction. But it's not that, you know, I'm Chase Young and I'm just going to defeat the tackle and win type of rep. Or Leonard Williams, what he was doing at some points last season. And I think that's a great thing to bring up as well because it kind of brings me to a larger point, a more 30,000-foot viewpoint, and it's about this. It's like you re- if you're relying on those two things to be married together, the pass rush and the pass coverage, instead of having individual game-breaker types on your defense, like a Jalen Ramsey who can take out a receiver, or even more specifically, you know, the trenches guys, the Aaron Donalds, the Chase Youngs, whoever it may be, you're almost relying on a little bit more variance in my mind when you're relying on those two things to work together and you just don't have any game-breakers really on your defense. And I think everybody's searching for answers. Like, how was this Giants defense so good in 2020 and so bad in 2021? You know, and one of the reasons might just be that they just simply don't have those game breakers and you're relying on a little bit more variance when you're hoping those two things are married together. So just something to think about as we move forward with this Giants defense. But the third drive is kind of the opposite. You know, after maybe their best possession defensively of the year, it's a bad possession. I mean, they force the Rams to a first and 21 or they don't force the Rams. The Rams, you know, take two penalties and get into a first and 21. And yet this drive then goes forward with uh, and turns into a touchdown drive leading with that Robert Woods touchdown. So what do you take away from this drive, this third drive of the game? Yeah, so, I mean, it was capped off by that Bobby Trees touchdown right there. And it's you, you laid it out perfectly, bro. I mean, two penalties, man. Two penalties to put the Giants into a first and 21s or to put the Rams into a first and 21 situation. And the Giants can't take advantage of it. A deep seven route from Cooper Cup with an inside release, too. So he releases inside against Jabril Peppers. And no one wants to see Jabril Peppers in man coverage against Cooper Cup. That's really not fair to Jabril Peppers, if we're going to be honest. And it's just a deep seven route where, where Cooper Cup releases inside and then gets over the top of Peppers and just darts towards the flag. And it was a beautiful throw from Matthew Stafford. Far hash over the top, three defenders in the area, and that just keeps the ball moving. And then that Bobby Trees touchdown was another miscommunication. It looked like somebody didn't take Robert Woods underneath. It's a three-by-two set, empty set, with Robert Woods as the number two receiver, Cooper Cup inside. And Cooper Cup kind of gives a hard outside jab foot that freezes James Bradbury, who's over top of him in the slot. And then James Bradbury expands outward, and Cooper Cup darts inside with Robert Woods coming underneath his release. And that means both those receivers are kind of open right now. Julian Love, who was originally on Robert Woods, ends up attaching to the upfield hip of Cooper Cup. It doesn't get over the top of Cooper Cup's route. Cooper Cup is basically just acting as a wall to block Julian Love. And James Bradbury is in no position to get to Robert Woods. So nobody's around Robert Woods at this point. Robert Woods just sits OTB over the ball catches the football, and still nobody there to make the tackle. And the saddest part about it was neither Julian Love or James Bradbury adjusted at this point. James Bradbury kept going with the route, even though he saw Robert Woods catch the football, and he should have known that Julian Love was on top of Cooper Cup. It's just, where's the communication with this defense? It's not there right now. And you mentioned something earlier that I thought was interesting that we should kind of point back to, and it's, why did it take a Rodarius Williams injury to get Darnay Holmes on the field? Like you said, sticky coverage on that play we talked about earlier showed some good signs last year, was a pick that we were excited about. What do you think's going on with, with Holmes in general, with his coaching staff? And, and do you think that's another indictment on this coaching staff, the fact that it took this long to get Holmes on the field? I mean, he only played nine snaps in right. this game, so he wasn't even used that much in this game. 
which was a little bit odd as well. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a uh, indictment on the coaching staff quite yet. I think Darnay Holmes showed a lot of positive things last year, but he also showed a lot of rookie mistakes. Was very very grabby. Wasn't the best in man coverage, despite the fact that he has all the athletic ability and theoretically has all of the ability to play man coverage. And I think that might be the sticking point. And the fact that he's you know five nine on stilts isn't going to work in his favor the guy has less than 30 inch arms like that's yeah. not great for a cornerback I, I like darnay holmes but he is who he is at this point i, I kind of hope he earns more snaps because in the limited snaps he received from what i saw uh this past sunday I, I thought he played really well and against some really top competition so i'm hoping he earns more than just nine snaps next week i'm with you i i agree there are limitations a what you said is so true he was very grabby last year but that can be fixed and there are limitations based on his size, but, man, I watch him on film, and he certainly looked better to me than I saw from Rodarius Williams this season, for example. And so, I don't know, man. They're still looking for a solution in the slot. I still feel like he could potentially be that. Next drive, the Rams go up 14-3 with the touchdown. Not much to take away, obviously, short field, but the fourth and one play where they scored uh, the Cooper Cup touchdown. What did you take away from that play call and kind of how the Giants reacted to it? Oh, I kind of liked how uh, the Giants came up with a big third down stop, but this isn't the New York Giants offense they're going against. They're going against yeah. Sean McVay, who, according to our guest, is you know notably kind of conservative in those situations, but not when you're that close, when you're one yard away from a touchdown. And you know this was a man coverage play from the Giants, and it was a great play call from Sean McVay to to get Cooper Cup open. It was a reduced bunch with Woods running an orbit motion from the outside receiver spot around Matt Stafford to kind of cause hesitation and draw James Bradbury, who was outside with Woods, around to the middle of the field. So you're clearing out that side of the field. And then the number two receiver in the bunch, Van Jefferson, releases vertical and kind of gets outside of the the, the further mo the cornerback who is furthest outside. So he releases outside to get to that outside shoulder of the cornerback, which just opens up nothing but space for Cooper Cup to just run a flat route down the line of scrimmage. And then the other cornerback cannot work over the top. So there's no one there to get to Cooper Cup. This is just scheme once again right. against man coverage to manipulate what the Giants defense is trying to do. And it was also something that happened pre-snap that helped it. Hey, James Bradbury is in the area that we want to attack. Let's just move him in this direction and kind of draw attention to Robert Woods on this orbit motion. Again, Great offensive minds, develop great offensive plays, and we saw it there again. Fourth and one touchdown. Yep. Unfortunately for the Giants' sake, it was exactly as you described it, Nick. And Giants did uh, then force a three and out from the Rams on their next possession. Anything to take away that we can build forward toward? Or, you know, maybe a young player on a building block type player that made a big play on this drive that you saw? I saw Tate Crowder on the first down run. He had a really, really nice fill, avoided the block, went low on Daryl Henderson and just tripped him up. Thought that was great. And I saw Darnay Holmes where Matt Stafford rolled out. And I don't know about you, man. And Matt Stafford, he doesn't have his reputation, but that is a guy I would not want to tackle with a full head of steam in space. I, I can't remember what year it was. But obviously, when he was with the Detroit Lions, he trucked a safety and like stepped over him. And I was like, <laughs> word, that is insane. Like He has that kind of build and that kind of physicality to him. And he tries to do it to Darnay Holmes a little bit. And Darnay Holmes on that third and four just sticks him right to the ground. I thought that was a nice physical play from Darnay Holmes there. Yeah, Holmes has a little bit of Grant Haley in him in the sense that he's a little guy. He's obviously undersized, but he sticks defenders. When he comes up, I'm sorry, offensive players. When he comes up, he sticks them. And he plays physical for his uh, size. Some might even say he out-physicals his opponent. <laughs> that one, but uh, we'll move on from that. Many, many would say that. Yeah, yes. Many might say he out-physicals his opponent. But anyway, moving on. Anything to take away? Obviously, the Giants then forced that three and out. And so they're still in this game, it feels like. But obviously, this is when the offensive wheels fall off. So the interception from Jones leads to a four-play, 14-yard touchdown. Nothing too much. that I, I didn't really have much to take away from this drive. What did you take away from this? Anything specifically? So was this when the Rams were gifted the ball in excellent field in the 14, position? Yep. It was just a four play. Yeah, it was 14-3 about. Yeah, just how many times did Sean McVay on this drive use the reduced stacks to get Tyler Higby into the flat? Like, again, I brought it up a little bit earlier, but reduced stacks, so everything's tight, so there's a bunch of space outside. And when you're in man coverage, 
you're going to make your defense tight to match what the offense is, is doing. And if you pick the outside, the outside defender there, then there's going to be an alley towards the outside unabated. And that's what happened several times on this drive to Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby, I think, was either two or three times from two-by-two two sets and balance sets. It didn't matter. He got open because the Giants were in man coverage, and Sean McVay was like, all right, you're in man coverage. I'm just going to use these legal pick and routes to get my guy open. That's exactly what happened. And it started getting pretty damn frustrating, to be honest, because it's like, how are the Giants going to slow this down? Because they're just getting six yards, seven yards, eight yards with these quick hitters, and there's no upside to get a pass rush on Matt Stafford because the football's coming out of his hand in about five seconds. Or yeah. five seconds, 0.5 seconds. Yeah, I think you broke it down right, really well, Nick. It was a really interesting game plan from McVay. It's like he finds a way here to utilize the space in a way that we haven't seen really against this Giants defense at all this season to their advantage. And you have to have the quarterback, obviously, to run like those reduced split stacks. Like You need to have a quarterback who can rip the ball on these outside throws and get the ball outside the hashes with a lot of velocity and to, to really with pinpoint accuracy to get the ball in space for the receiver to then do other things with it. But Stafford is that guy, and they have it. And so they completely took advantage of it. It's obviously something Patrick Graham hasn't you know had to defend much against this season and clearly didn't have it in this game. And so... That was a disappointment. The Rams scored a touchdown, and this is kind of where the, the next possession is where the game kind of finally reaches its, its boiling point here. And it's so sad to say, man. I mean, I can't believe the Giants are in week six and just totally out of a game in the first half. But the Rams go on a six-place, 73-yard drive in one minute and 41 seconds. And now it's not quite the final two-minute drive, but I think this could basically qualify as the sixth straight week. Somehow, six of six weeks, Nick where this Giants defense allows a two-minute-style drill offense towards the end of the first half to go for seven points, and these are just devastating to give up. Six straight weeks, it's almost unfathomable. It's like even the most unlucky gambler can have something like that happen again, bringing back the Vegas thing. But I don't know, man. What did you see from this drive? This was kind of the final punch in the face, I think, for this game and for the Giants defense. Yeah, it was... uh... It's unfortunate. I mean, these last couple drives, because there were turnovers and stuff uh, at the end of the first half, kind of all get jumbled in together. But there was right. one play I wanted to kind of bring up to you that, that makes me laugh. So let's bring some levity to this podcast because it's depressing. <laughs> Do you remember Waterboy when Henry Winkler was watching film of his crappy team and he was talking about how how the opposing team had the football and the guy fumbled it as he was running for a touchdown and he kind of like picked it up. He's like, Oh, and look, he has time to pick up the ball, dust it off, tie his shoes, and then trot into the end zone for a touchdown. And none of our guys are even aware of what's going on. That screenplay to Cooper cup from the three by one set reminded me of that because Matt Stafford caught the ball, fumbled it, literally kind of took him like, you know, a second to pick the football up, turns his shoulders and fires it to Cooper cup and still no giants defenders are in the area. It was just like, Oh, one of those kind of moments, yep. you know? They got him with a lot of those this game. I mean, there was a lot of those moments I felt like where they caught the Giants defense off guard. Whether you want to blame that on Patrick Graham or you want to blame it on the personnel, it's hard to say. Or you want to just give credit to Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford. I'm fine with that, too. They're unbelievable at what they do. But, you know, this was it. I mean, 28-3, the game was over for all tense purposes for the Giants in this one. Um, we're not going to do drive-by-drive drive for the second half, Nick, but I'd rather talk about you know overall concepts with this defense and things that might matter moving forward. But any specific plays on film that stood out to you from that second half? I mean, the I guess I'll, I'll bring up the one that really comes to mind because, again, Sean McVay, great play caller. Obviously, he watched the Washington film because the Rams went empty, put Henderson as the outside receiver, and established a mismatch against Tay Crowder, the same way J.D. McKissick was a mismatch against Tay Crowder. And what did he do? He ran a double move. That's what the Rams did. He sends Daryl Henderson on a slow-go route, which is a slant-and-go route, and it ends up being an easy touchdown. This might have been actually at the end of the first half, but I wanted to kind of bring this play up because teams are starting to catch on that Tay Crowder cannot cover in space. And Daryl Henderson, he's a good athlete, right? Definitely a good athlete, but he's not Saquon Barkley. He's not one of the top athletes, I would say, at the position. And he got absolutely torched on that play and didn't even necessarily bite on the double move all that poorly. His hips were oriented outside the entire time, and he still couldn't get vertical and get to Daryl Henderson there. It was similar to the double move. From week two, J.D. McKissick, that was an out and up. This was a slow go route. And I think a lot of offensive coordinators are going to start trying to go empty and take advantage of that liability on defense. I've always thought that was pronounced, not to break from the point, because you made a great one I want to get into. I always thought it was pronounced slow go route, not slow go route. Is that correct? 
It might be. I think I think, I think, it, might, I, think I might get be. my first win here with pronunciations against you, Nick. I think I nailed my first win here with Sluggo versus Sluggo route. But like you said, the key point here is Taker Outer's liability in coverage. He's liability in man coverage. They've taken advantage of him twice already in more important games, like the Washington game, for example, where, you know, that was a big play that played a big factor in deciding that game. He's going to be a liability and, and potentially a game-changing liability for the Giants. I'm fine with him, his whole progression from seventh-round pick, you know, to starting linebacker, or I'm sorry, to playing a role in this team, but only as a reserve. This is not a starting linebacker uh, capable of leading an, a good NFL defense. And, and unfortunately, the Giants are in this position where he's their linebacker one right now on the inside, and their linebacker two is Reggie Ragland, who's been a journeyman with massive physical limitations, both you know as a blitzer and coverage and even run defense. I don't love what I see from Reggie Ragland. He's a journeyman who should not be starting. Now, you have two guys who shouldn't be starting starting for you at the second level. You just can't have it. And I, the more I see film of Tate Crowder, the less excited I am about his future with this team. Um, but you're right, man. I mean, that was, a, that was a play that really had it stand out. Let's talk some overall concepts with this Giants defense before we get into some superlatives. And I want to talk about kind of the overall, you know, 30,000-foot view of why this defense is where it's at now. Because here are the numbers. Last year, the Giants were 12th in yards allowed, 349 per game. Ninth in points allowed, just 22.3 points per game. They've fallen all the way to allowing the 27th, or I'm sorry, to allowing, yeah, the 401 yards per game, the, I believe it was uh, the fifth most in the NFL, and the third most, or the fourth most points per game, 29.5. Let's, give, me an, give me a reason in your mind, if you'd pick one reason, and I know it's hard because it's collective, if you'd pick one reason for why this Giants defense has regressed so much, what would you say it would be? Offensive adjustments, I think. I think they're not playing with the same confidence either. And I think that the communication and the cohesiveness, those two C's that we talk about a lot, are not there for this Giants team. I think what the offense is doing, and we saw it a little bit last season. We brought it up. We saw it in the the Philadelphia game on Thursday night football. We saw it on the Dallas game in week five, how teams were kind of using vertical concepts to flood outside defenders and force them to midpoint and put them into, you know, disadvantageous situations. And a lot of that was against Ryan Lewis, who was a replacement level player. So they were working James Bradbury, but this year they're doing it to James Bradbury. I, I think it's a lot of adjustments. I think it's a lot of personnel not living up to themselves again, collective, as you just so eloquently put it. And uh, it's just a pure regressive year. And we, we brought up the idea of the team possibly regressing on regressing on defense, but we didn't think it would happen to this extent because, you know, we play fantasy football and everything like that. And in fantasy football, defenses typically do not live up to the same expectations year in and year out. But this is a totally different thing. This is real life football and this defense and this defensive coordinator have been figured out. And now we need to see adjustments to alter what offensive coordinators have been able to do to them. And this has been several games. And they're about to have Joe Brady come into town. I mean, Sam Darnold, he can he can turn the football over, man. That offensive line is not that great. Honestly, the Giants can win this football game. It's not crazy to say that the Carolina Panthers have lost the last three games. But Joe Brady's a great offensive line, man. And he's going to see what these other right. offensive coordinators are doing. The Giants are going to have to clamp down and not allow Sam Darnold to do what Matt Stafford just did to them, what Dak Prescott to do them the week prior. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it, Nick. I don't think there's too much more to add, but I say if it was come down to one thing for me, it's confidence. It's The confidence factor on defense seems to be such a high. Like These players are not confident within the scheme and the system right now, and that's the biggest issue, I think, because like we talked about earlier, this is not a defense that has many game-breaking. This, is, this defense doesn't have an Aaron Donald. Yeah, Leonard Williams is paid like an Aaron Donald, but he's not an Aaron Donald, and I guess that's fine, but that's just not what he's going to be. I don't see that happening. James Bradbury's not a Jalen Ramsey right now. Last year, he was playing confident within the system. He wasn't asked to really do the same things as those lockdown man corners are anyway, but he was playing really well. I mean, you, you didn't complete passes against him and quarterbacks weren't targeting him. That's not happening this year either, like you mentioned. So it's a combination of that. I think a part of it is also just like the competition level, man. They didn't face Matt, Sta uh, Matt Stafford and, and Dak Prescott. Last year. I believe they might have faced Prescott once, so don't, don't quote me on that, or a, a half a game from Prescott. But... They didn't face a Matt Stafford, uh, yeah, and they didn't and they didn't face a full game of Dak Prescott, and they faced a lot of really bad quarterbacks last year. We had a bit, uh, in my mind, unfortunately, we have to kind of look back at this, Nick, and not correct ourselves, but you know, knock ourselves a bit for getting a little too confident. I think in this defense and not factoring it as much. They faced Brandon Allen, they faced Andy Dalton, they faced you know a slew of just terrible quarterbacks for most of that season, and it played a role in 
them being allowed to, you know, have this confidence in, in the system and show out and, you know, not give up many plays. So fortunately, it's not there this season. I still think there are some building blocks and we're going to have to see more from them because we need more from Xavier McKinney. We need more from Adoree Jackson. That, that contract isn't going away. We need more from Logan Ryan. In my mind, that contract isn't going away either. And he's being paid like someone who needs to be close to a game-breaking type guy. We need more from Dexter Lawrence, of course. That's one of the biggest ones for me. And same thing for those edge guys. Even Aziz, who's shown a little flashes, and Carter potentially might be part of the solution. They got to prove it in these next coming weeks. That's what it all comes down to. But Nick, anything else on the defense before we dive into some some, uh, superlatives about this defense? I would say just to kind of look at the Rams' offense, what they were able to do to really put stress on the Giants defense. I mean, every play, there was some sort of distraction. There was some sort of movement. There was some sort of motion to shift the Giants defense, possibly switch assignments, cause a miscommunication, and just put the defense into a little bit more of a stressful uh, situation. And I felt like almost on every play, there was some sort of pre-snap movement. There was something going on. And then during the play, there were distractions. I mean, that Cooper Cup touchdown, the second one, not the first uh, one, the fourth and one, Cooper Cup, it was a play action split zone. The entire offensive line steps play side like it was going to be a run. And Cooper Cup comes like he's a split zone blocker and just kind of gets small behind the offensive lineman to the boundary, runs right into the flat. And nobody picks him up because the Rams were in reduced splits and they just ran crossing routes to the middle of the field. Tyler Higby ran a little bit of a spot type of route and nobody even saw Cooper Cup. Cup caught the football and again, he could have tied his shoes, it seemed like. And then he just sprinted right into the end zone and nobody had the angle to to tackle him there. And it just seems like so much, so many of the distractions that the Rams cultivated and the Rams put into their offense really, really just took advantage of the Giants' ability to play effective defense. Yeah, you're not wrong about that, Nick. And it's it was just a great game plan from McVay. You gotta you gotta gotta give tip his hat to tip your hat to him and say, look, you out schemed Patrick Graham. You you beat him. You beat him in this chess match. And I know you have probably a better a, a talent advantage versus this current Giants defense to some extent, but it was just a great job by Sean McVay. All right, go ahead. It was, and also, dude, like we talk about this with Jason Garrett, and Garrett does it as well. He's, every offensive coordinator does this, but Sean McVay shows one thing, right? And then the next time he shows that same exact look, he builds some sort of misdirection or some sort of play action or or something off of that, adds a wrinkle to that play to catch the Giants off guard by maybe a millisecond, man. And that's all it takes in the NFL, the millisecond of hesitation. Sean McVay is one of the best at building plays like that, showing one look, building something off that look, and then attacking your vulnerability with that. Yeah, you nailed it. Every coordinator tries to do this, but some of them do it a lot better. You see it with the Chiefs, with Andy Reid all the time. You see it with McVay all the time. It's building something off showing that same look and getting the defense to think, okay, they're showing this look. That means this is coming. Nope, actually that's coming. And they hit the Giants for a bunch of big plays on this one. All right, give me your unheralded defensive player of the week. Unheralded defensive player of the week. I mean, I don't really think he played great, but I might go with James Bradbury here because he had a couple really nice, uh, I guess, oh, he had two, so a couple very nice PBUs. He broke on the ball, almost came away with an interception on one, and then he had another one where he just kind of, uh, I think he got his hand into the catch point and knocked it away. But I remember being like, okay, all these Bradbury showing a little bit of something. Bradbury can be dangerous, man, when, when he's asked to play zone and he's playing over the top and he's baiting quarterbacks to throw on an underneath spot type of route, a stick type of concept. I think James Bradbury, if James Bradbury played the offensive coordinator of Jason Garrett, he'd probably come away with two interceptions in that game. I agree he's really good that. at guarding those stick and curl routes. That's a great point, Nick. He's awesome on those in-breaking routes at the sticks, and that's a good point. Um, I actually am going to we'll, – we'll feature him later. I have him written down elsewhere. But for my own holder player, I'm going to go Austin Johnson, man. And Austin, you, you notice these – I think it's easier for me to evaluate yes. this defense um, on the line in the trenches because you get that end zone angle, so you really get to focus in on them. But, man, it leads me to a larger point because I watch this defensive line, especially in these one-on-ones at pass. You could get a guy like Austin Johnson. The Giants had this a couple years ago, by the way, with Mario Edwards, who they just scooped off the waiver wire for nothing. You can get these interior defensive linemen like the Edwards and the Johnson types who are productive, who flash on film, even B.J. Hill to an extent, who we talked about, like, game after game on film, he was winning one-on-ones. The Giants trade in the Bengals. He's having a good year. You can get these guys without having to invest major assets. And unfortunately, the Giants have built a roster where they've invested major assets trying to procure these guys. I mean, they spent the 17th overall pick trying to get one of these guys in Dexter Lawrence. And so far, he's not one of those guys. Like He doesn't flash often in one-on-one pass rushing reps. They traded a top 65 pick and then signed Leonard Williams a $25 million per year contract that's only rising against the cap to get one of those guys. And 
he is not he's better than Austin Johnson. That's obviously faces more double teams. But is he worth investing a third round pick and twenty five million plus against the cap when you could find Austin Johnson types for nothing? And and, and so that's a big problem with how this roster was built out. I've said this from the start with Dave Gettleman. I haven't liked his his decision making, his roster building process. And this is partially why this defense is at where it's at, because of what they've tried to do to build a good defense as far as what types of players they've invested in with these interior defensive linemen and what they're actually giving them. But just to bring it back to the point, good good game again from Austin Johnson, who continues to flash on film. And it's it's nice to find those guys. I mean, I'm sure, honestly, if you if you had an all-22 podcast for 32 teams around the NFL, you'd find a lot of these teams with cheap interior defensive linemen flashing on film a lot. It's, in my mind, the deepest position in the NFL and probably not one you want to invest major assets in. For a lot that of David Moe is out there. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, do you have a best individual play from anyone on this defense? I, I don't have one that comes to my mind. I, I guess I can go with one of the Leonard Williams sacks, even though they were a little bit more covered sacks. But I like the second sack because he had a nice little spin move off of it, had to recollect his balance, then use his hands to kind of fight through one of the Rams' arms and then find Matt Stafford to slam him to the deck. So I guess I'll go in that direction because the Xavier McKinney interceptions are mad to me. Right. I also think an unheralded player could be Darnay Holmes. And I could even put Darnay Holmes as one of those players who is, who is somebody who is one of the, uh, one of the, like his routes and the way he covered, I think he could easily be on that list as well, but that's not necessarily all that impactful. It wasn't an impactful play. It was just him doing his job. Well, sure. I think that's fair. Um, I say for best angel play, I, I guess I'd go with one of those two coverage sacks, but really nothing too great. This wasn't a great this wasn't a great game film for the defense. Let's just say that. How about a player on film who really struggled, who you kind of noticed was really struggling out there? I mean Jabril Peppers, but it's not necessarily fully on Jabril right. in my opinion because I don't think he's being used correctly. So I think it, it, it's it sucks because every week I feel like I'm putting Jabril Peppers on blast, but I don't think the coaching staff is using him in an optimal manner. But if I had to pick somebody, it'd probably be Peppers. But again, I I just don't think they're using him well. I would agree with exactly what you said there. They're just not utilizing him right. But either way, a guy who has those kind of limitations in man coverage playing that safety position, it gives me hesitation investing long-term in a player like that. We saw this with Landon Collins. The Giants made the right decision not to invest in a long-term contract. The Washington football team obviously regrets that big contract. And so... I'll always be a little skeptical of a player who has his limitations in man, like Jabril Peppers. But my uh, my player who really struggled on film was Tate Crowder, man. And I know it's a tough test to ask from this guy. I mean, just step in and play the Blake Martinez role. But it just, he was not, you know, he really struggled in coverage. He really struggled against the run. I don't love him against the run either. I just don't really see much of a player with Tate Crowder. I know he had a lot of fanfare last year because he was a right guy, you know, a, right, a guy in the right place at the right time type player. But... And maybe, you know, maybe you found some kind of gem in the late rounds on day three. But I just haven't seen it this season at all in the expanded role. Mr. Irrelevant, man. I mean, not many Mr. Irrelevants are are able to earn a role like Tay Crowder has. So I think there's some credit due there. But, I mean, he's thrust. He's thrust into the flames right now with no Blake Martinez. And the loss of Blake Martinez is important. I see people on Twitter kind of talking that, oh, yeah, well, he stinks anyways. I think, no, that's that's a bad take, man. Yeah. Like, Blake, Blake Martinez is, is a damn good football the player. Bad, bad. And, yeah, he's not he's not excellent in man coverage, but I don't think things are that simple. I think his presence is, is, is invaluable to that defense. And, yeah, the Giants defense didn't play great against the Broncos. They didn't play great against Washington either, but I still think they were much better than what we saw against the Rams and what we'll probably hopefully not may see for the rest of the season without Blake Martinez. Sure. All right. Let's wrap this up with a pass rush grade and a run defense grade. Give me a pass rush first. Pass rush. I'm going to go with a uh, 4.6. I think early in the game, they were able to get after Matt Stafford. And then for the rest of the game, there was a lot of quick hitters from Matt Stafford, get the football out of his hands. Still on the, on the more deeper type of concepts. I felt like the giants defensive line couldn't, really get after him all that well which ended up being a problem so six actually i'm gonna go with a 4.1 i'm gonna drop it okay i'm gonna give it a 3.9 i think you nailed it best i mean part of it, it's hard to grade this pass rush when the entire game plan from the rams was get the ball out quick and especially it sucks when you know every a lot of these coaches are trying for these get the ball out quick type game plans on offense and you can't do it successfully and it just sucks when you see them able to do it so successfully 
as Sean McVay was. But hard to totally knock them. But like you said, when you really look at those deeper concept plays, those deeper drop steps for Matthew Stafford, you notice that this pass rush doesn't have guys who can consistently win one-on-one. And in this game, that was the case as well. Give me a run defense grade for the Giants in this one. Run defense, I had a 4.2. I felt like there were, you know, there was definitely cracks in the run defense throughout the game, and it was more um, attrition towards the end of the game where it was just like, okay, well, our offense can't sustain a drive, and we're out here, and we're just getting the ball ran down our throats by Daryl Henderson and Zoni Michelle at this point. Definitely not a great game in run defense. Not as bad as last week against the Dallas Cowboys, I'll say that. So a 4.2. I think that's fair. I'm actually going a little higher for Wayne Six. I think... When I was watching the game film, I thought there were some things they did well in the run game, specifically early to stymie Daryl Henderson, to stymie what the Rams want to do. I know the Rams haven't been a great team running the football all year, to be honest. They've had some success, but I think it's mostly built off their passing game. As far as just the run blocking goes, they don't really have the guys there. But I think it was a little bit better than expected. All right, Nick, any final thoughts on this defensive performance before we wrap up? Yeah, they really need to figure their stuff out. (laughs) They really need to figure out what their issues are and make some sort of adjustments because they've been had offensive coordinators know what to do in terms of manipulating their zone, in terms of taking advantage of them when they're in man coverage. Something has to change, and it may have to wait till the bye week to to install a little bit of uh, variations which is coming in a few weeks, but you still have what you have the Raiders, you have the chiefs, you have the Panthers before that. So it it could be a long three weeks. I think this is a very winnable game though, to be honest against the Carolina Panthers. I'm curious to see. I I don't think they will win, but I I think it's winnable just because, but, but it's going to have to be on the back of the defense because what does this offense have right now with that offensive line going up against Phil Snow's defense? So it has to be, the defense forcing Sam Darnold into mistakes. And I think Sam Darnold has like six turnovers in the last three games or maybe even seven. I think it's six interceptions and a fumble. So you have to be able to take advantage of that. And this could be one of those ugly like 17 to 14 type games. I'm not 100% certain that's going to happen. I don't, I'm not picking the Giants to win, but it's a winnable game at home. And if they lose this, man, geez, bro. Like, ah, I don't know, especially if it's in an embarrassing fashion after Carolina lost three straight games. It could be a very, very, very long week for Joe Judge. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. If the Giants lose in embarrassing fashion to a team that's really not playing that great football right now in Carolina, is that when we start to hear the Joe Judge hot seat stuff? Because you know it's coming at some point. I mean, look, they're 1-5 and if they drop to 1-6. and And I I don't know how winnable this game is. I'm super scared to see Andrew Tom. I'm sorry, Nate Solder and Matt Parrott against those edges. Man, Carolina's got guys around that edge. And so... I don't really know what Jason Garrett kind of game plan, Jason Garrett, like he could try the same game plan he tried against Washington football team last year. And then they kind of just relied on like having five turnovers from the Giants defense. But like you said, it'll be a defensive led win. So I guess it's possible against Darnold. We'll see. But other than that, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Big Blue Banter. That really helps us. Follow us on Spotify. Otherwise, you can find this video on YouTube. We're building out that YouTube page. A lot more videos, obviously, as you noticed. But it's been pretty cool to record from the Blue Wire studio out here in Las Vegas, Nevada at the win. Lastly, please, please do us a favor. Follow us on Instagram at NYBlueBanter. Otherwise, it's a great